Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the 3 of 7 podcast. Uh, Today's episode is brought to you by a company that is near and dear to my heart called Exoskin. I use this gear from head to toe whenever I am out ultra running, whenever I'm out backpacking, anytime I'm going to be out moving and generating heat, generating sweat. Just for all of my activities, I'm covered in Exoskin from my shoulders down to my feet. To start with, I'll tell you what I love most about it. You do not have to use anti-chafing cream when you're wearing exoskin. Rick has designed this fabric to where it channels moisture and body sweat away from the skin so you don't retain moisture, you don't retain salt and have salt build up in those areas that we all chafe in. It has rapid dry copper technology. Uh, what that means in layman terms is it does not retain odor. It just doesn't stink. You can wear these things for multiple, multiple days, multiple workouts. You don't have to throw them in the wash because they just do not retain odor-causing bacteria. If you want to learn more about Exoskin, please go to their website. It's Exoskin, that's xoskin.us. And um, if you decide to purchase some of their gear, they have provided us with a pro code that you guys can use to get a discount on all your purchases. That pro code is three of seven. That's the number three of the number seven. No spaces. Give it a shot. Reach out to us. Let us know what you think. Uh, All this stuff is made in America 100%. Uh, That also means a lot to me, so give them a try, guys. I don't think you'll be disappointed. We really have to seek the tools that it takes to to get up every morning to to you know grind through the training cycle um, to make it to the summit it's the tools that's going to get you there it's not motivation at all brother i couldn't agree with you more all right ladies and gentlemen welcome back to the three of seven podcast we have john and ann wade with us this morning not this morning it's this evening now but um John, and thank you guys so much for taking the time out of your day to come on here and share with us. Yeah. Well, excited to be here. We really hey. appreciate it. Been following you guys since day one. I know. I know, John. And it's, uh, you know, going back to that, it was so cool when you started following me on Instagram. I don't know. You always stood out to me just because of obviously the just the just green lawn and landscaping. That is John's business. And uh, at the time, I was also doing landscaping work. And that's something that's really close to my heart, man. Um, I got into that business like right out of the SEAL teams. And I really just wanted to get my hands back in the dirt. And, you know, I'd been doing this crazy job for 12 years. And it's like I just wanted to get back to something that was just pure and and simple and not that what you do, John, is is not simple. I see the things that you create out there in people's yards. You actually do landscapes. I was cutting <laughs> grass and doing mulch and planting <laughs> flowers and stuff, man. But um, but I love it, man. That business is close to my heart. I wanted you to tell me, John, um, what drove you toward that uh, that business? Was that something that was close to your heart or? You know, I see you've done a lot of stuff in the past, man. You've got a, you've lived one heck of a life, brother. So how did you end up in this uh, lawn and landscaping lane? 
<laughs> well, it's uh, it's been a bit of a journey. Um, you know, I worked uh, really once I graduated from college, um, basically went to work for Cisco, which was an IT company. And I was there for about 10 years. And um, uh, I left Cisco to go work for a startup company and then got laid off. Uh, so I was laid off for a couple of years and I was, you know, really trying to figure out what to do. And, um, at the time I was, let's see, I was 35. So I didn't really anticipate, you know, going through that type of issue at that age. So, um, I went back to really a lot of my background was more in the blue collar, um, type of realm. And I really enjoyed working, uh, kind of like what you said is, kind of getting back to your roots or just getting back to where something's more pure or something is more rewarding. And, um, so after a couple of years of being out of work, I just decided to, um, start a landscaping business. I say after a couple of years of not having any money left for that, <laughs> <laughs> like, what do I know how to do? I know how to cut grass. So yeah, we'll take her off the call now. <laughs> 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 well, I'm going to tell you, man, um, for me, you know, just there again, getting back to, to that line of work. I mean, we talk a lot about body, soul and spirit uh, here on three of seven. And and that, uh, you know, getting your hands in the dirt, man, and, and getting out there and, and just something as simple for me as mowing grass and just smelling it, you know, a rain or some fresh cut grass, man, it's just that's a body, soul and spirit thing for me. It always has been. Um I'm a, I'm a grass cutting man, brother. I love it. So, um, I agree with that. Start starting that and, and starting that business up. You know, a lot of our listeners too are, are entrepreneurs and, you know, in that lane, brother. So, you know, starting that business up from scratch, what's some of the biggest challenges that you faced, man? Um, really, um, gosh, the list is, the list is pretty long. I think that you know, starting in a market like Raleigh, um, obviously the competition was extremely high, and uh, my time frame of having having to create something, um, as Ann mentioned, of pretty much running out of money, um, the sense of urgency of really trying to build a business pretty quickly um, was really top of mind. And um, you know, I don't I don't know if really one issue um, or one challenge. Uh, I don't know that I could really pinpoint one, but, um, you know, it definitely, definitely had to put the working boots on and just really had to keep grinding every single day and just kind of keep, you know, keep an eye on the positivity and, um, you know, just make sure that you're always doing the right thing and doing what you say you're going to do. And, you know, it's still a grind even to this day. I mean, I think you just, just have to keep working at it and, you know, keep getting a good reputation as, as you're doing work. You know, throughout the time frame of when you're in business. I agree 100 percent, brother. And how did you you know, you talk about how there's a lot of competition out there. And I think that for a lot of people is a barrier. Um, they may have an idea, but they may think, oh, well, there's, you know, 50 other people that uh, are doing the same thing. How did you separate yourself from the competition out there that was basically doing the same work that you're that you offer? Well, I think, you know, my 10 years in corporate America, I think it allowed me to actually be a customer. So I think that in the time frame that I was, you know, in the working world, I, I could kind of tell, you know, what people would want or, you know, I could really see the lack of, you know, responsiveness maybe in the 
contractor realm of work where, you know, somebody might call you and say, Hey, can you come meet me tomorrow at one o'clock and let's talk about my yard or something. And then all of a sudden, you know, all you hear about is the, the people that just didn't show up. Right. So I knew at least that number one, I'd always call somebody back more promptly than someone else, or I would always follow up or I would always show up. So, you know, I think just in that, you know, having that corporate experience of, you know, kind of that part of the hustle, I, I really knew that I could kind of carry that attitude into, you know, having my own business and maybe beat somebody else to the punch and say, hey, I'll call somebody else back a little bit faster or maybe I was more hungry at the time. You know what I mean? That makes sense. Oh, it makes total sense, brother. And I agree with you. I like that word hungry that yeah. you used. Um, and, you know, something that I did, John, and you may have done this this exact same thing. Um, something as simple as just wearing a collared shirt, man. Uh, I know every customer that I had when I was in the, the lawn care and landscaping business, it was um, I would wear a collared shirt every single day. And uh, I think something as simple as that, you know, it's the yeah. simple things. It's the easy things that can really um, separate you from everyone else out there that you're competing with, man. Yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I think that just similar to the image part or um, just the follow three or just showing up. I mean, a lot of times <laughs> if you just show up, you, you've already won half the battle. Yeah. yeah. That's it. That's it. Yeah. So, uh, Miss Ann, um, uh, John did not include much about you in the bio here. Um, so what do you, what do you, <laughs> what are you doing these days? So I have, um, well, I work for a chiropractic office at the front desk, mainly post customer service. And in the January, I'll start working for John because now he can actually pay me. So I'll start working for him part time. And then, um, I also am an esthetician, so I have my own business as well. Oh, that is outstanding. I love it. I love it. And I got I got to ask you a question, Ann, and this is I don't know how hard this will be to answer or um, it's it's a little off the off base from the uh, work topic. But I know that your father was an active duty SEAL. And uh, a big question I had for you is what was it like growing up in a home? with a father that was a SEAL? What, what, what were the challenges? What are the, the things that you would um, put out there for other active duty members? Yeah. I mean, so my dad, when he, um, when he got back from Vietnam after his third tour, I was only two. Um, and that's when he joined the FBI right after that. So I had it from all aspects, right? So I grew up in that military um, household and then with him being in law enforcement, I really had no idea what my dad did. You know, I mean, I probably wasn't my 30s is when I sort of figured out, oh, my dad's pretty cool. <laughs> but <laughs> my dad is awesome. But but when I was growing up with him, you know, honestly, I have a younger sister too. So I think it's kind of funny that he ended up with two daughters and um, if it wasn't for my mom, we'd probably still be locked in our rooms all by, you know, by ourselves. So it, it was a little it was a little strict. Um, it was, um, you know, my dad is a very you're going to my way is the right way. So but he also has this incredible um, amount of positivity. And if that's the best thing that he could, the best gift he could have given me and my sister is that positive, um, outlook on everything. 
So I don't know. And my mom, she, you know, she's a little bit crazy, but now I understand why having to put up with everything that my dad did and her, you know, the 50 years they've been married. So I'm like, yeah, I'll give her a pass. Um, but I, you know, I don't know. It, it was, we really were kind of shielded. My sister and I both were very sheltered from all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, just because he was, you know, I don't know. He just made it. It wasn't a big deal. You know, typical feel. You know, it wasn't a big deal. I'm mm-hmm. just another guy serving. And that's what I was put on this earth to do is serve. And he spent most of his life serving. I love that, Ann. And kind of, kind of, it sounds like he was, um, was really good at separating his work life from his family life. Um, totally. That yeah. is such a, that, that statement right there sums up because we, he was always, he was around a lot. He always came to our, you know, he, he coached my soccer team. He went to all of our recitals. You know, he was always there for the important stuff. Um, but my mom did all of the raising really, you know, um, mm-hmm. but right. I never, never, he never brought it home with him. When he walked in that door, he was with his family and he never left home in the morning without giving us all a kiss goodbye and telling us he loved us. Not wow. Yeah. You talk about your mom did all the raising and thank God for our women because, right. uh, we, uh, a lot of us are raised by our women. Yep. I mean, it's just, uh, you guys are, you guys are unbelievable. So I love that statement. All right, guys. So you guys are both entrepreneurs, both business owners. Um, and yet you travel all around the world climbing these <laughs> massive mountains that oh, you do cool. it too. I, and I, I've done a few. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. First of all, I want to talk to you guys. I want to ask you uh, what mountains that you guys have climbed, um, because some of the names that I cannot pronounce. So uh, (laughs) give us a rundown real quick, guys, uh, as far as the the mountain name. um, Maybe give us an elevation and a little description of where it's at. Okay. well, um, the first year, uh, really in 2014 is when we started um, or 2015. And uh, we did Mount Rainier. In 2015, uh, Mount Rainier is a little over 14,000 feet. Obviously, it's uh, not far from Seattle, Washington. Um, uh, we did not summit that year due to a lightning storm. Uh, uh, we were about 13,000 feet when we had to turn around. And in 2016, once we, we were going back, we, were we going, didn't summit. I knew we were going back. <laughs> now, hold on. I got a, I got a question on that uh, 2015 Mount Rainier. Um, it, it, in the bio, I see the note there uh, with my wife. It was her idea. Tell me about that. <laughs> well, I'll let her elaborate on that. Yeah, Roger that. My dad was not too happy when we told him we were going to be. For somebody who's done so many things in his life, he does not like his girls to do anything that might have a, any bit of danger associated with it. So he kind of got a little on John a little bit. And um, he, he said, John said, wasn't my idea. It was Ann's idea. She picked it. So that's how he gets out of all of that. Um, but I, uh-huh. he, we, we were just talking about wanting to do something big. And John said, I want to do something that's big and I want to do it with you. So what can we do? And, um, and every, everything I threw out had to do with running because at the time I was running a lot and I loved to run. And he was like, no, 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 <laughs> <laughs> we're not running. 
And so then I remembered my cousin had climbed Rainier the year before. And I said, well, what about climbing Mount Rainier? And once I said that and he did a little research on it, he's like, yes, this is it. That's what we're doing. That's what awesome. We're doing. So that's and, what that and so this initial climb in 2015, was that um, was that for Seal Legacy to raise money for Seal Legacy Foundation? So you guys yeah. were looking for this big event basically to raise awareness and to raise funds for Seal Legacy, correct? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Actually, we picked Rainier first, and then we said we need to tie it to something. What can we tie it to? And then that's how it kind of came about. Got you. And so you guys got up to 13,000. You're talking 1,000 feet from the summit. You guys were right there, and a lightning storm hit. I mean, how? I mean, what did that? What did that feel like having to turn around after going that far, and uh, and kind of just just walk before we move on to the comeback? Walk me through that real quick, because there's got to be a story there. So I was I was the last person on the rope line, right? So I was I was number three, I think. We had seven people quit at eleven thousand feet, so it, there was only like. What five of us left? Yeah, and I was the only girl. Yeah. <laughs> so we were, we had gotten we had just gotten to the top of this one at Cleaver, and it was I was the last person on the rope line, and then Aim was in the middle, and our guide was maybe there's one person in front of us, mm-hmm. and then our guide, mm-hmm. and basically their their ice axes were buzzing, and they, the radios were choppy because of so much electricity that was in the air, so you could hear the ice axes like. <laughs> They're vibrating, vibrating on the pinging, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, the guy, the lead guide, turned back to look at me and says, "John, turn around. We're going back, and you got to lead us down." And I looked at him like, <laughs> "Me?" He's like, "Well, we can't walk past each other because this cliff drops off about four thousand feet." <laughs> so I had to turn around, and we basically went back down Cleaver, uh, but the the storm did pass, and then it, it uh, actually we got back down a few hours later, and the sun we got to see the sunrise. Um, what he's not telling you is that he was in the guide's ear saying, can we go back up? Can we go back up? It's gone now. Come on. Can we go back up? Until finally the guy was like, John, I'm here to keep you alive. And no, we're not going back. (laughs) Um, so yeah, that was, that was how that, that turned out. So we ended up just, um, just going back. Yeah, that's pretty intense. So with that, I mean, obviously it was totally out of your control. That's based on the conditions. Yeah, you can't do much in lightning. So was there like a big feeling of defeat or did it make you hungry to go back? Or how did you feel, you know, after you got down and you realized, okay, um, we're going to have to, you know, figure this out, maybe wait till next year? No, Uh, he told me we were going back when we sat and watched the sunset. It was immediately. (laughs) I knew it, too. I knew the minute they turned us around, I was like. All right, we're coming back next year. <laughs> I think I told her when he said, hey, we're turning around. I said, hey, you know we're coming back. <laughs> awesome. So you guys come back in 2016. Walk me through that real quick. <laughs> I couldn't do that one. I was hurt. And so I backed out. So it was all John. And uh, let's see what he tells you about that. <laughs> we don't We don't have much time on this call. <laughs> Well, you know what? You know, to preface this, though, the first time we did Rainier, we felt so good. I mean, people were dropping out like flies, and he and I were looking at each other like, "Is this is no big deal?" This is no big deal. Like yeah. we were really, really fit, and it was easy. We, I mean, it really was easy. We never. I fell apart on the way down. Coming down for me is hard. I mean, just it's just so hard on my knees, but. 
on the way up, we had no issues. So that was the first time. So <laughs> second time. Let's, let's, yes. Okay. So um, let's basically, um, basically the second, I guess in 2016, when she, she dropped out, or I guess she said, hey, my knees are bothering me. I'm plantar and fasciitis. She had plantar fasciitis too. And so I said, well, I'll do it. It's it's really not that hard because it was so easy last time. <laughs> I was running a fair amount, maybe 30 miles a week, um, you know, but I really wasn't doing a whole lot of uh, like carrying pack weight. I wasn't used to some of that, but I figured, you know what? I did. So, it was so easy last time. It can't be that hard. Um, and so we started out on the trip and typically, you know, from on Mount Rainier, you go from Paradise, which is about um, maybe 4,000 feet, 5,000 feet. Then you go to Camp Mira, which is at 10,000 feet. And then obviously the summit's at like 14,5. So at, at 5,000 feet, we started at Paradise and we got in the trip to they, the guide would stop you know, every hour and take a break for 10 minutes or so and we'd, you know, rehydrate and get some, get some food. And we had just been going an hour. And the guy said, hey, I'm supposed to ask this question, but does anybody have any hot spots? You know, usually nobody does, but I just want to make sure everybody's taken care of. And I looked around for a minute and I raised my hand. And I said, yeah, I've got um, I've got a hot spot already starting on one of my feet. And he laughed. He said, no, nah, man, you can't have a hot spot already. And I can see the parking lot, right? Like I can see the parking lot <laughs> from where I was. And I knew that I would have about a 29 hour day. And I was like, well, I've already got a hot spot. Well, they pull my boots off. And, of course, I'm like, oh, good God, I'm going to beat this guy right here. You know? <laughs> and they pull my boots off. And, of course, I've already got, you know, a pretty good-sized blister starting. So then the next hour goes by and the next hour goes by. And, obviously, it takes um, maybe six hours, five or six hours to get to Camir. And when I got to Camir and pulled my socks off, it looked like Wendy Vash. <laughs> Like, and I was like, I can still see the parking lot way down there. And I was, it was, I mean, it was almost all I had just to get to Camp Mirror. And I thought, okay, once I'm at Camp Mirror, I'll have another, you know, we're having about a 15 hour summit day. I can get some rest. I can kind of bandage my, duct tape my feet, whatever I need to do. And um, once they woke us up at, they woke me up an hour early to duct tape my feet which was 11 o'clock, and then we left around midnight. Um, and then I summited I summited that morning around 8 a.m. I think it was like 50-mile-an-hour winds, maybe 40 below-ish or something like that. I think the temperature was zero. And my feet were destroyed. Like, I made it to the top and made it down, but it was um, it was definitely a challenge. John, how how'd you deal with that pain, man? Because I can only imagine feet in that type of shape and having to move, you know, not only uphill but downhill. I mean, yeah. how'd you deal with that, brother? What techniques did you use to kind of put that away and carry on, man? I, you know, it's funny because I was I was cramping really bad and my feet were. I mean, I didn't wear shoes for two months, two and a half months. When I oh got my back. gosh. And they loaded him up on antibiotics too because yeah. his feet were shredded. Um, I don't, you know, I don't. I've thought about that many times. Like I've, and especially on, I've thought back to a lot of that, especially listening to a lot of your, like even y'all's podcast or even the podcast that that you've been on. I mean, you know, I what I don't know if there was a. I mean, it really hurt the entire time, but 
just put one step in front of the other. I mean, there's really, you know, once you set on something and you have to set your mind on something, and especially for a cause like the Seal Legacy Foundation, <laughs> hey, there was no way in my life I would go back to like Martha Guinness or to her dad and say, well, you know what? My feet kind of hurt a little bit. I couldn't make it. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? Well, like, he said I was, if he was climbing for the American Lung Association, he may have quit. <laughs> well, you know, and, and that's so awesome, John. And that shines through with me, brother, because you had a why. Man, you had a solid why of why you were out there doing this, man. And you could fall back on that, you know, every single time that that pain started to overwhelm you mentally or physically. It's so important to have that why when we step off on these these missions and we don't know where we're going to wind up. We don't know what the conditions are going to be in. That's what I'm hearing from you, brother. You had that solid why of what you were doing out there and, and the reason you were there, brother. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. So, so interesting clip. Uh, nothing has been quite that exciting since that since that one. I've I've been uh, way more prepared on uh, ever since then. Definitely a lesson. Definitely a lesson learned through the furnace of adversity. Oh, that's <laughs> it, my man. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. He he doesn't like to talk about it too. It's always me going, "Oh, tell him about your feet." <laughs> like, do I have to? <laughs> Yeah, foot care, foot care is uh, hands down one of the most important things when you're out there doing something like that or ultra running or whatever it may be. You got to have a system worked out. That's for sure. So but you you don't learn. You, you learn through those hard times. If um, if we don't fail, if we don't, you know, inflict some adversity on ourselves, whether it's, you know, in our control or out of our control, then we never learn. So I bet you take the best care of your feet. Uh, out of anybody around these days. Uh, yeah, there's no <laughs> yes. question. I've got, I've got it all. I've got it all mapped out. <laughs> but so tell me, uh, and just for the listeners, ultra runners and, and, and other hikers and climbers out there, what do you, what do you do for your feet now, John, after going through that, man? Well, right now, once, once all of that happened and once my feet healed, I was doing some research and basically I use, um, like a, uh, just a liner sock and then I'll use a merino wool um, you know just a mountaineering sock mm-hmm. over that but what I've taped my feet up with is luco tape I don't know if you've ever heard of luco tape and so yeah. what I'll do is I'll just put just where I know where I'm getting hot spots just on the back side of my heel maybe underneath my feet um, and just around my big toe or something like that I just use luco tape and it's really uh, what's crazy is that even though even if your feet sweat um, that tape has not moved. So the duct tape, I think, added an issue to what I had going on because I had these these blisters that were the size of like I don't they were bigger than half dollars. Like they were like seven or eight of them on each of my feet, and they were just coming off. Like, and I think it might have been the duct tape, right? So you don't have any pictures, do you? Oh yeah. These are, these would be awesome to put on the on the podcast. Yeah. You can post them on your Instagram, kind of like your sticker picture. You got to send some pictures up, John. Yeah. He likes to load those pictures up and put them like in pictures that he's showing people so that when they scroll, either they don't know what they're going to come on. Yeah. Oh, God. Wild, man. But yeah, Luco tape has been uh, been definitely uh, been something, been what I use um, ever since then and haven't had issue. And don't buy boots the night before either. That's true, too. 
Yeah. 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 That's definitely a big no, no. And I'll tell you something that I've done too, John, that might help you in the, in the upcoming, uh, in your upcoming mission, man, uh, to just kind of add to your foot care program. This is by no means an ad, but there's a, a good friend of mine that makes a product called salty britches. And it's just, okay. Yeah. So you follow Amy. So Man, I've got to where I'll take that salty britches and just put a cover my foot in just a thin layer of that stuff, man. And, you know, put my sock on over top of it. And it really creates just a awesome barrier. Um, it's helped me tremendously as, uh, you know, as far as foot care goes. So that's just yeah, I started piece. following, I started following her after, um, I think after I wanted to go to that event that you got, that you went on with Jesse, that y'all went on and was it outside of Atlanta? Yeah, yeah, Camp BYLR, yeah. Yeah, BYLR, and I, I was uh, was talking to her a lot about that, and we just I couldn't get my schedule to align, but um, I saw her go, and I remember y'all talking about that, but yeah, I started following her about that time. Yeah, she's got a good product, man. Reach out to her. She'll probably help you out. She's an awesome lady and a super awesome product, and I know you're all about foot care now, so <laughs> it'll be right up your alley, brother. <laughs> All right, John, let's, uh, and, and let's move on to, um, kind of the missions, uh, we've got through 2016. Let's talk about 2017 and 2018. Mm-hmm. I can't even, I can't, the, the one in 2017, I can't pronounce that one. Okay. So, uh, Mount, Mount Shuxon. Okay. Uh, um, Shuxon is in the Cascades. Um, it's, it's, um, in between, Mount Rainier and Mount Baker. It's um, it's in the Pacific Northwest. It's uh, a little under ten thousand feet, and we actually went to a week long, uh, kind of a mountaineering training slash seminar, where we stayed on the glacier for an entire week, and it was basically just um, you know learning a lot of different roping skills and rock climbing, ice climbing, um, glacier travel, and we basically just kind of spent a week. Um, you know, in a tent, just kind of immersed into uh, that trip. And then Ann, Ann actually went on that with us or with me, and uh, we had a great time. It was awesome. Uh, we both summited um, that day, and um, that was a really cool trip. That was fun. Yeah. The last, like, thousand all rocks, like, just a big, huge pile of rocks. And um, that was so much fun, scrambling up those rocks. And our guide, we were, there were three of us and then a guide, and the guide said uh, to us as we were getting ready to climb up those rocks, he said, all right, just follow me, follow my lead. When I tell you to go, go. He said, you're not going to die, but I can't guarantee that you won't get really hurt. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yes. Yes. That was, that was it was her. fun. I'm here about it. That was our first escapade in, um, you know, some alpine rock climbing. So that was that was really cool. That was a really cool experience. Yeah, it was fun. So we got that in 2017 and then moving on 20. I mean, this is year after year, dude. You guys are hitting the mountain every single year. And obviously, we're going to talk about in just a minute why you guys are doing this. Um, yeah. 2018 was uh, was Mount Baker. So I did um, and was. I did not want to do the ice climbing. So Mount Baker, uh, the north ridge of Mount Baker, uh, Mount Baker is also in Washington, um, not too far from the Canadian border. It's a little over 10,000 feet, and the north ridge of Mount Baker was um, basically all ice climbing. So, um, you know, 
once you got up to about 7,000 feet, really the last, you know, 3,000 feet was the majority of that was ice climbing. And, you know, I had done a little bit of that on, on Shuxon and I thought that, you know, trying to do a good, like a, get a, get some experience on doing like a true Alpine climb, um, would be something cool to do. So that was, it was awesome, you know, kind of hanging off that, you know, just hanging off the ledge. I mean, I just enjoyed that. Um, um, my God, it was actually just me and my God, and I'm sure he put a ton of trust in me passing the rope to him. But I'm just like the beginner guy. <laughs> That's <laughs> like, please don't drop the rope, you know. Um, but it, it was, it was that was really cool, also. But uh, to be able to be in that environment with really, you're, you're only tied to the mountain with just you know one anchor um, was really was really cool, was really fun. And would you say would you say that was one of the toughest ones? John Mount Baker. No, I don't think so. I mean, I think the, you know, I've got my eyes on, you know, bigger things too. Mm -hmm. So I think most of this is probably just, um, just a ramp up to, you know, stuff that I want to do, but I think being hurt, you know, really hurt, um, from the first hour on Mount Rainier until about the 32nd hour was probably the tougher, um, just because of the, physical toll and just kind of where I had to dig to get, to get that done without, without quitting was probably the hardest. Um, yeah. but, um, you know, I don't know this, the one coming up is probably going to be, uh, to see how I really face that, um, especially at, you know, almost 20,000 feet. Yeah, no doubt. And I want to dig into that mission and how you're training and and kind of what the preparation is going into that. Um, I think before we go into this current mission that you have in 2019, I want to talk about, you know, I, pe people obviously realize what you're doing now. I want to talk about why you're doing it, John, um, and you too, and um, this climb for freedom. I want to talk about the SEAL Legacy Foundation, uh, kind of what your relationship with them is and uh, and why you guys are traveling around again and, and doing these awesome missions and subjecting yourself to these harsh conditions. Well, I think the and Anne might say say otherwise, but I think for me personally, if you go back to even a lot of your words on the furnace of adversity or just, you know, putting yourself into adverse conditions to be able to grow, um, you know, I didn't feel like that if we were doing something and we wanted to do something, quote unquote, big, um, <clears throat> you know, her dad was a Navy SEAL and my dad was in the Air Force. And, you know, I was not in the military. I mean, at, at that time, I was more focused on racing and, you know, I played soccer in college. I mean, I, I, it just wasn't something that was on my radar. But the mission for us, I feel like that we have to put our time in and our energy in on the training and the, the days that you don't feel like you want to get up, but you still have to get up and, you know, to support people like you, um, it wouldn't be right just to kind of write a check. I think we have to really put ourselves into that, into those situations to make it feel more worthwhile or to make it feel more like it's more of a sacrifice, I guess, you know, I, I you know, cause it takes a lot of time. Like, you know, I probably work 60 hours a week and I'm probably training 15 hours a week. So, you know, I have to put my time in or else I'll face the consequences. Does that make sense? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it totally does. And and I think doing what you're doing, John, I think it gives you a it definitely 100 percent gives you a stronger connection to uh, the, the, the SEAL Legacy Foundation, what it stands for. It, I think it, you know, for me, I could only imagine the time that you spend training and the time that you spend on the mountain. A lot of that time is reflecting on um, the mission of SEAL Legacy Foundation and and the, the people that, that it's supporting. And, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, looking over the website uh, for SEAL Legacy Foundation, you guys have been able to raise over $75,000 since 2015. That's, I mean, that is just, that's amazing, brother. I mean, it's unbelievable. So what what is your uh, connection to the foundation? Is that, and is your father involved? Is that his foundation or how, what's the connection there? Why did y'all choose the Legacy Foundation? What does it mean to y'all? So my dad, uh, we actually, the first time we went to um, an event like that was um, for the Navy SEAL Foundation, mm-hmm. in which my dad is a part of that. And so the, originally that's who we reached out to to see if you know that was something that they would be interested in. And, and it's such a huge foundation um, that they actually directed us to the SEAL Legacy Foundation because at the time they were only like a year old, right? When we did our first time in the year. Yeah, so uh, Mark McGinnis started the Steel Legacy Foundation in 2012. So when we did our first, you know, when we did our first time, um, you know, I reached out to Mark and, and told him what we were planning on doing. And, you know, he obviously opened opened arms with us and just said, hey, you know, because I, I had known him you know, through some other friends of mine that I went to college with. And, um, you know, basically said, hey, this is what we want to do. And to really piggyback the climbs, we, we've done two fundraisers. Um, like I'm from Victory, North Carolina, obviously. And we, we've done two fundraisers uh, there that basically each time that we've done a fundraiser was standing room only. So, you know, we packed the house, kind of did a, uh, it was a benefit for the SEAL Legacy Foundation, but we really opened it up to all veterans. You know, we had, uh, the high school ROTC come in and do all their, you know, all their spill and everything, brought some SEALs in to, to talk about certain things. And um, even some spouses of people that had benefited from the SEAL Legacy Foundation that maybe had lost their husbands, you know, so to be able to have them come locally and support us and do events like that to raise money for them is really helped out a ton. What does the foundation stand for? I mean, yeah, I, I've got it right here in front of me, but I want to hear it from you guys. Um, I know this is this has got to be close to your heart, and I know this is what you're thinking about when you're on the mountain. So, what do they stand for? What do you guys? Uh, the seventy five thousand dollars that you've raised, what does it do within the foundation? Well, I think taking care of the families. I mean, I think really, to your point of when you when you initially started this conversation of talking to Ann, like. You know, what was it like for you to grow up in a SEAL family? I mean, even uh, the instances like when her dad was in the HRT and, you know, was gone all the time, like to be able to have a foundation that you're able to lean on as maybe a naval special warfare wife or somebody that they can go to that maybe they're uh, maybe they've been injured. Maybe they've been uh killed or maybe they've got some sort of disability or whatever that it is, but to be able to 
utilize a foundation that is run, especially run by SEALs, and then um, is picking up where the government maybe is not. So they're picking up where the government's kind of left off, right? So there's so many people coming back. I mean, you know, you've, you've been in it for 12 years. Um, you know, I think really the driving force for us is, is taking care of everybody that comes home, right? I mean, you have to take care of everybody that comes home. And even when they're here, they may not be here. You know, they may need, like even you talked about it in some of your other podcasts about having this transition period of, you know, finding people that you can, you know, hang out with that give you positive feelings or, you know, going back home or, you know, doing what the, the mission work that you're doing with your brother, like, you know, finding that purpose. And I think the foundation can give a family that purpose back, you know, whether their father is here or not. Like, I think that's probably the biggest thing I would say. Yeah. It's not leaving anybody behind, not forgetting about anybody. Yeah, that was something that really impacted me on on your website where you guys talk about uh, not leaving anyone behind. And we talked you talked about, well, on on the foundation website, it talks about how no seal has ever been a left behind in combat alive or dead. And um, I mean, I just think you guys are carrying the foundation carries on that spirit. You, I think you hit the nail on the head with that. Ann. And, you know, I was looking over. The um, paperwork you sent me, John, and just looking at the numbers, I mean, I was reading over this earlier, and um, it talks a little bit about Extortion 17 on August 6, 2011, and I remember when that happened, and, um, you know, it just, I was just sitting here reading this stuff, and uh, one thing that really just impacted me, and I highlighted it, 52 children of SEALs have lost their fathers since 2011. Since September 11th, 2001, 52 children. And I had never really seen that number before. And I don't know, it just impacted me, man. It, it hit, hit me in the core, you know, especially after seeing something like that. It's like, holy smokes, it brings a whole new meaning to what you guys are doing and, and a whole new meaning to, to raising the amount of money that you guys have. And, and it talks about here, these family guardian grants where, you know, the legacy foundation provides education, funeral expenses, healthcare expenses, living expenses, quality of life, all these things that uh, I could only imagine that the spouse and the children, they, they got to have it when, right. when they lose their father or husband. And I mean, I don't know. It's a powerful thing, brother. Just seeing those numbers. I don't know. I kind of just started shaking reading that, dude. So you got to think, too, how many, you know, those kids are going to have kids. So however many, maybe they each have two kids. And that's 100 grandkids that don't have their grandparents. The multiplication factor on that. Yeah. And that's 52. That was probably five years ago. So I don't, you know, I I probably need to update that. But I think that Blake's right. I mean, you think about just the impact that it has not just on this generation but on like you know and for me to sacrifice a very small amount of time whether it's 10 or 15 hours a week and one or two climbs a year i mean that's so minuscule you know the big picture of this whole thing for me like i feel like it's the least i can do what i spoke at the first one at our first event and i spoke from the perspective that my dad came home and he made it out of Vietnam alive. So I know exactly what I would have missed out on had he not made it home alive. 
you know, I wouldn't have had a younger sister. It would have just been my mother and me and, you know, everything that I've experienced just with having a father, like I do. I mean, he's, he's amazing. I'm super, super proud of my dad. Um, but if I had never known that, it just, it's so tragic to think about that. And, um, and so it's so important that we, that we don't forget those people, you know, and what they stood for. And we have to, we have to help their families. It's just, that's just bottom line. We can't yep. forget them. Yep. And, and you guys are out there doing it. You guys are putting the work in. So thank you both for, um, for the time and effort that you put into this, because if it weren't for people like you guys out there doing it, then it, it just, it wouldn't happen. And people would get lost in the shuffle and that's just the nature of, of the world. It just keeps turning. So, um, yeah, never forget how powerful what you guys are doing is. And like I said, this was really just, um, Really, after the way you articulated those numbers uh, here, John, it just hit me in the core, brother, and it brought a whole new meaning to this interview. So um, I love it, man. And I, I want to go into your upcoming mission for 2020, John. Um, first of all, where are you going? So the next one on my list is going to be my first 5,000-meter peak, uh, which will be Pico de Orizaba, and that is in Mexico about four hours east of Mexico City, I believe. Um, it's the thir third highest peak in North America. Um, so we're in the process of Anne's goal go with me, um, but she will stay at base camp, which is right around 14,000 feet. Um, <clears throat> so we we uh, we head there February 6th. So I'm in the trenches of training at the moment. <clears throat> Yeah, talk to me a little bit about that training too, John. What what's involved? I mean, you're talking about a twenty thousand foot peak. Um, that's no joke, brother. Uh, it's it's higher than I've been. Um, so, what kind of training goes into preparing for a mission of this magnitude? Um, well, with my with just with my work schedule, um, there's many times where I get up at like three forty five ish. Um, so, really. I would say three days, two to three days a week in the gym and uh, two to three days a week running. Um, and then the rest of the time is really spent in the stairwell. Um, you know, my stairs right now are like four hours on a Saturday and four hours on a Sunday. Um, I do intervals on the stairs with the pack. Um, and our dog. She and our dog. <laughs> yeah. So my lab goes with me and she still doesn't get tired. Um <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to get, which in Raleigh is tough because you're only like 500 feet above sea level. So I'm trying to get, you know, 15 to 18,000 feet of elevation gain per week, um, all with a 30 pound pack. So, you know, I just got to be creative here. I just don't have much time on the weekends to get away and head up to the mountains. Like Mount Mitchell would probably go there between Christmas and New Year's and do Mount Mitchell a couple of times. Um, but really, that's I mean, that's 12 to 15 hours a week. That's kind of my range of uh, a lot of times sitting with a pack and a lot of time, you know, listening to your podcast. <laughs> I heard that, brother. <laughs> and what what's driving you right now, John, in the training phase? Is it still that same why that, that drove you up when, you're, when your feet were like hamburger? Or has it changed <laughs> over the years? 
I don't, you know, I don't think so. I, you know, I, I feel like that what's really started to resonate with me. And I think especially listening to both of you guys is that, um, you know, I've, I've had issues or not issues. I've had instances in my past where the, I've created more adversity than what I probably should have, like from a physical standpoint. And now as I've gotten older, I mean, I'm 45. So really it's starting to find that balance of work life, family life, and, um, workout life. Like, you know, I really, you know, I've got to have that. I've got to feel that way. I've got to get up in the morning whether it's four o'clock, whether it's three thirty, or whatever time frame that is, if it's time for me to get up and I don't want to, I have to force myself to get up. And, you know, I think that training for something and having to train for something like this, um, and especially for the seal legacy foundation and for you know, people like you guys, like if I feel just the slightest bit tired, I'm not going to cry about it. I'm just going to get up and do it. And I think that I just have to have that in the back of my mind to stay, you know, the motivation is fickle, right? Like, I think you just have to have a reason to do something. And um, I think it teaches you a lot in those moments where you may not want to do it, but you do it away. Or uh, the times that feel good, you feel very fulfilled and, you know, you just have to roll with it. Yeah. And I love what you said about motivation, John. <clears throat> I feel the same way, brother. Motivation is, is, a, is a fickle thing. That's a great word. It's so temporary, man. And I try to, I try to portray to people, um, you know, stop seeking motivation because, you know, as soon as that thing or that person that's motivating you is gone, uh, the motivation is going to leave with that thing or person. Um, so we really have to seek the tools that it takes to to get up every morning to to, you know, grind through the training cycle um, to make it to the summit. It's the tools that's going to get you there. It's not motivation at all, brother. I couldn't agree with you more. And uh, I see so many people out there talking, saying they're they're motivational speakers. And I'm just like, uh, that doesn't make any sense to me. Like I could just could never, I do some speaking and I just don't view it as motivational speaking. I don't know. It's, I view it as I want to give you the tools that it takes, the tools that have worked for me that have gotten me through hard times, man. So. Well, I think you have to use the, you have to utilize the tools. I mean, I think that, you know, really the biggest thing I've learned and especially in the short time that I've known I've known both of you is that, you know, you have to, you know, you have to absorb a lot of that and, and then put it to use and put it to use in your daily life. Like you can't just listen to it in five minutes and say, Oh, that was great. And all of a sudden you feel good. And then five minutes later, you don't like, you really have to implement this stuff. And especially in your mind, like you just have to, um, like the, like you've said a million times, like the power of the spoken word. I mean, there's been plenty of times where I've, you know, been on the two hours and 49 minutes of my stair climb. And I say to myself, like, no, you're, we are finishing this, <laughs> you know? And I think that just, there's just been a lot of, I think you just really have to put that into use and consciously do that every single day. Amen to that, brother. I agree with you a hundred percent. It's got to be part of, it's got to be part of you and who you are in your, in your everyday, whether it's in your career, your business, uh, your relationships with family members, friends, the whole nine yards. It's, it's, a, it's got to be the total package to be real and, and actually work. Um, I want to ask you guys too. Um, I, I feel like you guys are both 
really strong, uh, obviously, from what we've talked about here in the body and soul standpoint. Um, what is what is you guys perspective on the spiritual side of life and what do you do to, I guess, nurture the spiritual side? Does it have is, is climbing these mountains? Does that do something for you? I've always wondered if I got to 20,000 feet, if I'd feel a little closer to God. I mean, you know, what do you guys do? What's worked for you when it comes to you talked about uh, just a minute ago, John, you talked about about that balance, man. So I know that 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 spiritual side is is part of that balance. So I think that the time that we that we spend outside, right now, I, you know, I grew up going to church. Um, you know, she did too, and I think that being able to just put yourself into a space that you know there's really no distractions, there's nothing there, um, is probably what does it. Yeah. Is what it does it the most for me, right? I think being able to have time to reflect and being able to have time to absorb lessons and to uh, reprioritize like what's important and you know what your goals are and where you came from and just a lot of those different things. Like if you don't ever step away or don't ever, you know, I think exercise does that a lot for me. I think it really like I have to exercise in the morning because you know I get up in the morning. You know, and whether I, I I come in here and have a cup of coffee and, you know, maybe it would be meditation or maybe it would be just quiet time or maybe it would be something. But it's like, you know, 15 or 20 minutes of that, then, you know, an hour or two of working out. And then it's time for me to start my day. Like I have to have that in those increments to be able to feel like that I'm being 100 percent, if that makes sense. And I think being out. Going outside, we, we kind of joke about, and it's not it's not a joke, but we'll say it when we leave on Sundays to go hike or you know work out, be outside. We always say, "All right, time to go to church," you know, because it's shifted for us. We don't go to a traditional church anymore, but being outside for three four hours on a Sunday, it is like church for us, and it's it's also a time for us. To, it's when we have our best conversations. I mean, sometimes we don't talk at all. Sometimes we just walk in silence for four hours and it's fantastic. You, you feel even closer just doing that. But it is it, it is when we have our best conversations. And it's usually, we're usually talking about where, what we want to do, what, what our dreams and goals are. You know, we're not talking about, we're talking about what we want. And where we see our life going. And so I think that mind, you know, getting your mind right, thinking about what you want as opposed to what you don't want, being outside and being together. Yeah, I think that's what church is all about. You know, we get so hung up on church being the building and really it's just the body of people. So y'all going out saying you're going to have church. You're going out as a couple, but as one body of people to bond you know, with each other, with your spiritual side. Mm-hmm. And it's it's almost like therapy is, is what I'm hearing. And I can relate to that same thing, whether I'm out there by myself or with somebody else. Right. Yeah. And and for me, talking about nature being a, a, a nourishing thing to your spirit, uh, for me, I think a lot of, of what I view as spirit is your connection or or your perspective on something that is larger than yourself. Some uh, I I would believe I believe it's a creator. Uh, we we believe in God. So you know 
nature has a way of making you feel small. It has a way of, of really changing your perspective um, on really how, how little you really are. And I could only imagine when you're standing at the base of this mountain in Mexico here in a couple months, John, uh, how small it's going to make you feel, man. And it's hard to deny a creator when you're standing in yeah. front or at the base of something that magnificent. Yep. Right. Oh, that's no question. I mean, even even the lightning storm, I mean, uh, on Rainier the first year, I mean, I and didn't even see it or didn't even notice it. I mean, but I just was looking. I was at, looking at my feet, making sure I stepped where I needed to be stepping. Yeah. <laughs> like just this entire I get so crazy, like in that environment, like and, I, and I'm so fascinated with it. I think that, you know, I, I don't know. I just got I just got bigger plans. Yeah. <laughs> I love it, brother. Well, I'll tell you what, John, when um when you get when you when you get this mission done, man, when it's mission complete, we gotta have you back on the show. Yeah. Because I have a feeling that we're gonna be able to do a whole podcast just based around that that mission, man. Because <laughs> what a what a feat, brother. And all right, guys. So I wanna know how can our listeners follow you guys on your upcoming mission and uh, and also support you on your mission and donate to the uh, Seal Legacy Foundation and what you're doing, John? Well, there's a couple of ways you could do that. Um, you could follow me on Instagram um, at, at jwade60. Um, I do have an Everyday Hero page uh, that is directly linked with uh, the Seal Legacy Foundation. Or you could go to uh, the Seal Legacy Foundation's website as well. And I think what will happen once we get a little bit closer to the climb, they will have um, that put up on their website as well. And they'll they'll be doing some posts on Instagram and Facebook um, once we get a little bit closer um, to the climb. So um, really, that, that would be the easiest way to do that. All right. And Amy, you're going to be along on that mission too, right? I'll be there, um, but and I'll probably go. I'll do some of the longer hikes. I won't do the summit, but I will be in Mexico with him. Yeah. Awesome. Be out Outstanding. And again, John, thank you so much for taking the time to come on here and uh, share with us uh, about what you do um, climbing these mountains, raising $75,000 uh, for the Seal Legacy Foundation. Um, it's just such an amazing thing. And uh, you provided so much value to our listeners, brother. I can't thank you enough. Uh, we really appreciate it. I mean, I think it's it's really been great, you know, getting to know you and, and following you and really following your, uh, you guys' message. And uh, it definitely does not go unnoticed. I mean, I, I've, I've left numerous comments on, you know, stuff that you posted. And, and I just hope that, uh, you know, you guys are off to great things. And, you know, we can't thank you enough for even for having us on here and, and for your service and for your service. Thank you guys so much. And Ann, thank you for the perspective you brought to the conversation and, and talking about what it was like, you know, with your dad uh, doing the job that he was doing and the wisdom that you shared there. And uh, and also the wisdom that you shared on the climbs and forcing John to tell his embarrassing stories. Okay. I know he would have withheld. I know he would have withheld those from us if you wouldn't have been there to keep him honest. I so. know. <laughs> and everybody gets the biggest kick out of it too but, yeah. i know that's right yeah <laughs> so no it's an, been an amazing show guys we'll be talking to you again soon everybody this is the three of seven podcast enough said <laughs> <laughs>